Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Coming up. All of them have pretty much said the same thing, that they believe it's just the fact that throughout history, especially in the United States, that indigenous women have been overlooked or pushed to the side and not taken as seriously. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Today, a look at missing persons cases in the state of Washington involving indigenous women how they're reported, and how they're investigated. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, over half of Indigenous women will experience physical and or sexual violence at some point in their lives. Sadly, Washington is one of the leading states for Indigenous women to go missing and to be murdered. It's time to pay attention to the fact that Native American women are more uh, susceptible and more at risk of going um, missing. Joining us is Channing Curtis, a reporter and anchor with Creme 2 News in Spokane, Washington. Channing, you recently spoke to a Spokane school board member and a community activist who said, it's time to pay attention to the fact that Native American women are more susceptible and more at risk of going missing. Let's start there. What does that risk look like in the state of Washington? I mean, in the state of Washington specifically, it is definitely an ongoing crisis and something that is finally starting to come to light. Um, the Gabby Pepito case, I, I really think, helped spark some change or really started to shine a light on some of the problems that are happening, especially with women of color and indigenous women. So here in Washington, we actually have, if I can pull up the numbers here right now, um, women are, it's one of the highest states for one, for Indigenous women to be murdered and to go missing. Seattle is itself is one of the highest ranking cities in the country for Indigenous women to go missing and to be murdered. And it's such a big problem that the Attorney General has even come out with a task force so that specifically for these types of cases, so that they are not just pushed under the rug or pushed to the side, so that at least some of these families can get some type of closure. Because up until recently, when an Indigenous woman would go missing or would be murdered, these cases, not only would they not be solved, but often these cases wouldn't even be investigated. And so there's just now starting to be a change with that. What else can you tell us? What have you been able to learn through your reporting about why exactly this is such an issue? Why Indigenous women are so much more likely to be missing or murdered? It really just comes down to historical context from everything that I've gathered. Because, I mean... when you just are looking strictly at the data, at the numbers, it doesn't make sense because they do represent a smaller portion of the overall population. But in speaking to these women, and I spoke to several women, not just in that story, I'm doing a follow-up story here in a few weeks as well. And in speaking to additional women, all of them pretty much said the same thing, that they believe it's just the fact that throughout history, especially in the United States, that indigenous women have been overlooked or pushed to the side and not taken as seriously. And so now, fast forward to present day, that the same thing happens when they try and call police or when they try and report a loved one missing. The police don't 
often take them as seriously. And there are some issues within the community, just like there are within every community of maybe drug use or alcohol abuse. But that doesn't mean that just because a person might have used drugs or might have used alcohol or abused alcohol rather that they are still not missing when a person reports them missing or that they're still not, their families aren't still out there looking for them. And so I think that's part of the larger problem is some of the stigmas that have been passed down historically with a specific population of people. I started this conversation sharing a quote from your conversation with Jenny Slagle, a community activist in Spokane. And she, I know, tragically has firsthand experience and knows what it's like. What did she share with you about those personal experiences? Oh my goodness. It was, it, it was so just sad and heartbreaking to hear her story. When I went into that interview, I didn't know her personal connection with missing and women, missing and murdered indigenous women in our area. I knew she was an activist and that she's a very strong leader in our community. Um, but when she started speaking, she did share with me that one of her sisters went missing about 10 years ago and was tragically uh, found murdered. And then a few years later, another sister was. So she has two sisters who have been murdered. It's been 10 years this year. In August of 2011, my sister Felicia was murdered uh, in the city of Yakima by her uh, abusive boyfriend. And then in 2013, my sister Angela um, went missing and it took um, several days for law enforcement to um, to respond to the situation. And two weeks later, she was found in a, uh, a ditch that was um, close to her um, previous uh, boyfriend's uh, rural home. Her second sister, they've never made an arrest in the case at all. And from what she told me, it almost seems like the they like the police in that specific area just have kind of forgotten it. She's like, they haven't closed the case, nothing like that. It's just hasn't been further investigated. Um, her first sister who uh, was sadly murdered, they did arrest a person who died before they could go to trial. But even in that case, she said she felt like, not just herself, she said her whole family kind of felt like there was a disconnect between themselves and the officers who were responding to the case. That they almost felt like that, not that the officers were necessarily annoyed, but that they just didn't quite understand the dynamics and why the family was so adamant about trying to find these two missing women. And she said that there was really a lack of information that the officers did not share with them that she wishes that she would have known. She was like looking back on it. If I had known certain things, like even additional resources to call or that there are groups in the area, nonprofits that specifically help with missing persons cases that she wasn't aware of and that nobody made her aware of. And so that's why now she is such a big activist and she does try and reach out to these families who are going through similar things now. One of the main issues is, as the Urban Indian um, Health Institute's report in 2018 called out, was that Native women often go missing three times um, in life, in media, and in data. Talking a little bit more about that disconnect that she identified now as an activist, where does she see possible room for improvement there? Well, one of the things she definitely mentioned was the task force that um, the Attorney General has put in place that they're actually working on right now, but that's a statewide task force. So one thing that she wants to see is more local representation, uh, specifically in Spokane, because in each different area, there are different tribes and each different tribe has its own culture. And what she doesn't want is there to be a task force put in place where 
not where every different tribe isn't represented. So she would like to see something where they do have an active voice, where the Spokane tribe and the Yakima tribe, they all have their own say-so and have all have their own liaisons so that somebody who's familiar with them and their customs and their traditions and knows the kind of information that they would like to see can then put that in front of them. Speaking from experience as a family who had to deal with law enforcement as we were experiencing, experiencing our loss and trauma was um, just being approaching it in as much of a culturally responsive and respectful way, uh, recognizing that there are cultural differences in the way that uh, Native families uh, just really need more information on how the systems work. And if I'm not mistaken, the city of Spokane is working on implementing a task force of its own, right? Yes, that is something that they are working on. They haven't quite from everything that I've seen and in speaking with city representatives, even they're putting it together. It's kind of in the infancy, infancy phases. Um, the Washington state patrol also has two tribal liaisons that work in specifically in missing and murdered indigenous cases. Um, and not just women, um, in juveniles and men as well. Um, so they do have two specific liaisons, one for Eastern Washington and one for Western Washington. And I did get to speak with one of them for the story as well, who was just, who also reiterated that, that they are working on doing more on the local levels because they know two people to cover the whole entire state. That, that's a lot of work on that. And I know that that liaison said that the goal of that program is to increase trust between Native communities and law enforcement. That program has been around for a couple of years now. Do we have any indication that that is working, that it's actually making Indigenous communities safer? Not from what I can tell. I think I think it's still a little early, though, to tell exactly just how much of an impact they've had so far, because exactly to your point, they've only been around for a couple of years. Um, the tribal liaison that I spoke with specifically has only been in the role since uh, the previous December. So she's still relatively new. And there's a lot of data and a backlog of cases. Part of our job is to look at data, which I'm not sure if anybody was really looking at that as, as intensely as we are. And even she pointed out that before they got into these roles, that they don't think that anybody was, at least on the statewide level, was looking at these numbers specifically for Indigenous people. I think bringing awareness to the crisis is going to help create other people looking at the crisis. And maybe we can figure that out together as a community. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I know I've been asking a lot of questions about law enforcement, but as you mentioned, there are also a number of grassroots organizations working to provide resources to families of missing and murdered Indigenous women in Washington as well. Can you share some more information about some of those organizations? Oh, goodness. There are so so many. And I think that's probably one of the, um, I guess if there's a silver lining um, to telling this story is the fact that there are so many people that are out there actively trying. There's actually a a, um, a national database for missing and murdered Indigenous women that is done through the Justice Department. They also, they share a ton of resources. Um, the Washington State Patrol also share, share several resources. There is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women chapter of Spokane. They have a Facebook page and a website. There's also that same organization for Washington as a whole. The um, Spokane Domestic Violence Coalition also is actually a good resource. They do a lot of work with the several of the tribes in the area in trying to, you know, put a shine a light on this issue. The biggest one that I've seen though is missing and murdered indigenous women they're probably the biggest power player and they do so much good work, whether it's putting out flyers, whether it's talking to families, I mean, posting on social media accounts, just as much as they can do. Because even um, Don Pullen, the tribal liaison that I spoke to with Washington State Patrol said, nowadays with social media, using social media when a person goes missing is probably one of the biggest tools in your arsenal to helping them not only come home, but Tragically, if they don't come home, at least trying to figure out what happened to them. You brought up earlier the Gabby Petito case and following the disappearance and death of Gabby Petito, there's been a lot of focus on which missing persons cases get covered, which cases get sustained attention and which cases don't, you know, which cases don't necessarily get a lot of attention from national press outlets and trend on social media and get talked about on all the billions of true crime podcasts out there. And the concern is that too often the cases that we don't hear about are cases where indigenous women and women of color and people of color more broadly go missing. And I don't think anyone is saying we shouldn't pay attention when someone who looks like Gabby Petito, who's white, goes missing, but that we should also be paying attention when someone who isn't white goes missing. What did folks that you spoke to for this story have to say about this reality where certain types of cases seem to get a lot more attention than others? I mean, it's been a kind of interesting thing too, because I mean, as a woman of color, I I understand that you definitely understand the frustration. And I mean, the outcry is something that's very well needed. And exactly to your point, I don't think anybody out there is saying, no, we shouldn't cover this case because what happened to Gabby is absolutely tragic. And it is something that everybody should be talking about. But yes, there are so many women of color. There's so many indigenous women that don't get the same coverage. And as a matter of fact, in an interview I just did with a group of indigenous women, like I was saying for a follow-up story that I'm doing on this one, um, it was something that they mentioned and they mentioned that their their anger and their frustration at news outlets for not covering these types of cases. And I really don't have an answer. I, I don't know what goes into or how we get the certain stories that we get. I mean, I know from a person who's worked in this industry for several years, I know when we see a missing person's case that comes from the police department, we immediately think to put it on air. But if we don't get that 
information from the police department. We can't just go searching through their records. There are certain things that we have um, the ability to ask for, but if we don't know a person's missing, we don't know to ask for these certain records. And so unless law enforcement specifically sends us out this email or specifically calls us or reaches out to us and makes a big deal out of this, uh, out of certain cases, we don't know to make a big deal out of certain cases. But also we do get a lot of, um, a lot of our information from viewers even. Uh, we'll get an email from a viewer saying, hey, um, my daughter has been missing for the last several days. Can you put this out? We're 100% going to do that. So I think it's a, I, I, I mean, it just seems like it's a problem from the top down. I think law enforcement should do a better job of taking cases seriously and of sending information to news outlets. I think newsrooms have to do a better job of understanding like that, we also we need to treat cases like cases of missing indigenous women and cases of black women and Hispanic women as give them as much airtime as we would do a, a Gabby Petito case, even if they're not, you know, an influencer or even if they're not a, on YouTube. And I even think the public even needs to do a better job. I mean, we all need to do a better job of understanding that there are marginalized people that we're, we have overlooked and that we need to make sure that we're highlighting them and taking a look at their cases as, as much as we're looking at everybody else's. Channing Curtis with Creme 2 News in Spokane, Washington. Thank you for sharing the story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. As a reminder, we're here five days a week, Monday through Friday. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. And if you're looking for more from us, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University Maryland's forensic science programs today.